Hello, everybody. Uh, this is going to be a little different than what normally we uh, Thankful Thursday. Um, I am going to share something with you that uh, is pressing heavy on me right now uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, still thankful. I'm still very grateful for some things on my mind. Um, normally, again, this would be Thankful Thursday, and we would be talking about reasons uh, to be thankful, ways to practice gratitude, and so forth. And uh, I am a firm believer in being grateful, uh, and I am today grateful, first of all, for my life, because uh, things could be very different this morning. Um, for though, because I'm 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 uh, streaming this on platforms that I probably would not normally stream this type of uh, monologue on, uh, but I want to share this with people who follow me on all platforms to sort of know who I am and what I do uh, consistently. Um. For those of you who don't know, who follow me mostly on my business channels and uh, you're not familiar with the work I do in the community for more than 30 years, I have been championing the cause of the black community, everything from uh, scientific research, intergenerational trauma, adverse childhood experiences, and more uh, to creating wraparound services for mental health for men and women, uh, intimate partner violence, intimate partner homicide, uh, helping women uh, from childhood who suffer from the trauma of childhood sexual abuse. Also, I created the Black Men Lead Rite of Passage Initiative. And while it serves multiple purposes in helping to socialize and develop young Black boys into young Black men, it all started with me studying African-American adolescent and young adult male violence. Uh, my goal was to determine uh, the primary causes, the primary uh, predictors uh, of violence to be able to anticipate or predict uh, when a, a, a African-American male uh, was more likely to commit an act of violence uh, to try to intercept it. But, uh, and what I found is one of the most powerful tools in reducing African-American uh, adolescent and young adult male violence is socialization. So I created a rite of passage program to help socialize young black males who don't have men in the home or to help young fathers who are trying to get the job done. Uh, I have done years and years of work in this area. So when something like this happens, it hits home. And I often talk to you guys when I'm talking to you about supporting the work we do. I often talk to you about we don't really think about it until it hits home well i think about it because i see it all the time literally this is what i do there's something on my desk daily about some act of violence some acts of act of senseless violence that we have to deal with you know you, you 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 think well i'm not in the hood uh but i didn't choose to move 
I have lived in gated communities, and I want to say this as a disclaimer, I have lived in gated communities where I was around predominantly people who didn't look like me. And their children, their children do drugs, their children do stupid stuff too. Their children smoke weed and pop pills like it's no tomorrow. The difference is they live in an insulated environment where they're less likely to, uh, by an astronomical rate, to be stopped, questioned, or given a hard time about it. So we hardly ever hear about it. Our children are paraded, harassed, and everything else. So everything we do wrong is on Front Street. Not justifying anything that our kids do, but I don't want to make it seem like uh, living in a certain place puts you in a better better company. It just puts you in a different socioeconomic environment where things are done differently. Uh, with that being said, where I live isn't the hood. Um, and it is populated predominantly by people who look like me, but working professional people. Well, a family moved in less than a month ago, and I said, this is going to be a problem. And less than a month later, one of the uh, kids in that home is shot because they brought problems that weren't in the community back to the community. Um, and this isn't blaming the kid. He's a 15-year-old acting out what his environment has taught him and told him to do. And fortunately, this young man is going to survive. I'm not sure if they're going to charge him, but uh, I witnessed it. Me being me and sensing things, I heard the argument, which started on a phone call and ended up with the pull-up challenge. These people pulled up, but they didn't pull up to throw hands. Um, they pulled up and they tried to fight. And it didn't take long. And I'm I'm walking out to try to uh, get a handle on it. And immediately this kid starts shooting. Um, I've shared pictures of my vehicle. My vehicle is shot up. So I got to get that fixed. Um, but that's something small. Um, only one person. Well, two people were hit. One grazed wounds was able to be treated on the scene. Uh, the other kid, the 15-year-old, was shot twice and had to be transported by ambulance, but in stable condition. Uh, I have checked and they have verified that uh, his injuries aren't life-threatening, but he did scare the hell out of everybody because he bled a lot. Um, to me, this is simply a microcosm of what I've been talking about for God knows how long. Um, we can see everything that is wrong from the outside. We can talk about police brutality. We can talk about discriminatory practices in schools and in uh, workplaces. We can talk about the wealth gap. We can talk about gentrification. We can talk about mass incarceration. We can talk about Uh, right, Morpheus, right? Um, it's, it's definitely not a, a coincidence. Um, but um, I'm going to put this up so people will know what I'm talking about. Um, we can talk about all those things, but we rarely want to talk about the enemy within. There's an old African proverb that I quote often that says, if there's no enemy on the inside, the enemy on the outside can do us no harm. Um, 
the enemy on the outside is, I mean, the enemy on the inside is what concerns me. The enemy on the inside. If we deal with the brokenness on the inside, if we deal with the disruption, if we deal with the 1.5 million absent men, if we deal with our failures to properly socialize these young black boys, if we deal with the issues of single parent households and the lack of balance in the home, something I've written about, talked about, lectured on, um, seems like until I'm blue in the face and I'm a black man, just really trying to get people to understand that you don't wish yourself out of this. And while prayer is a, a huge part of my life, I understand there's a systematic approach to an extraction of yourself from any situation, whether you're dealing with addiction, whether you're dealing with abusive relationship, whether you're dealing with poverty, whether you're dealing with violence, there is a systematic approach to reconditioning your mind, your thinking, so that your behavior changes and your behavior moves you to different environments and allows you to create environments. I haven't had any problems whatsoever. Uh, with this family since I come in. As a matter of fact, they've been very, very respectful towards me. Um, and it's that way for everybody in this area. Um, the crazy thing is I'm the only adult male. <laughs> it's a lady and her uh, uh, daughter and grandchildren, another lady and her children, another lady and her children, and this new lady that just moved in and her, and it's me. And it's a microcosm of our problem. Uh, uh, no male role model. And it seems like it was, but I heard when the, 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 the young boy got shot, I heard his mom screaming, I can't lose my son. I just lost my husband. Now, that could be a lot of reasons, and I'm not going to speculate. Um, but I'm hoping that she didn't lose him to violence, uh, because then we see the pattern, um, and, 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 and I'm not here to beat up on anybody. Everybody is living out the ramifications of the life that they've experienced. And it's the adult's responsibility to say, this isn't good. I grew up in the hood. I saw my first body at a very early age. I've been on both sides of some pretty bad situations. Um, but my goal at that early age was, I'm not living in this, I'm getting out. My kids won't grow up in it. And my kids, didn't grow up in it. Um, you know, you talk about this, you know, and I lecture on this all the time. I lectured on this, this conference, this past, this past Saturday at this uh, Ironman conference. Um, yes, yes. Uh, if you live in the DMV area of Black Beauty, you know exactly what I'm talking about because I've dealt with issues there. I dealt with issues in 
uh, Delaware, Charlotte, which blew my mind, but the DMV is no joke. Uh, so I know you know what I'm talking about. And we're losing our kids. And I was talking to somebody, a friend last night, and I said, man, I, I'm really concerned about the kid. Once I found the kid was okay, then I was good. But I think the thing that bothered me the most is that I've been exposed to this from such an early age that my heart rate never raised. I'm looking at this happen. And I could have easily been hit because I'm more concerned about them than I am about ducking or running. But then I'm looking at the jitters you would think you would get. I can't tell you the last time I got them. The racing heart rate. Uh, the the person on 9 when I call 911, uh, I'm pretty sure neighbors did too. But when I called 911, the 911 operator was, you know, asking me, all right, that it was like they couldn't believe what I'm saying is happening. It's happening because of how I was. And then even the friend I was on the phone with was like, you seem pretty calm. And I didn't think about it at first. And, you know, I'm like, I've been exposed to this that long. I've been dealing with that long that fear left me a long time ago. So the fear of dying left me before I ever reached adulthood. Where I grew up at, you couldn't operate in fear. Um, I'm just grateful to God that I developed a desire to love my kids and my family enough to change, um, to be someone who could be an example to, to model after. Um, I tell you that it hits different, like, 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 like my, uh, friend, Tony Lindsay, and I do consider him a friend. Uh, I also consider him, uh, a brother warrior who actually, um, acts and carries himself and behaves in alignment with what he says. He follows his words with actions. Uh, he's a single father. I know what that's like. I've been there. Um, and, and so, you know, his words hit. Yeah, it hits different. Like I said, I deal with this every day. You know, you, you get the uh, storyline. I stopped watching the videos of, of police shootings, uh, gang shootings, all this stuff. I stopped watching them a long time ago. I read the reports. I read the reviews. I listen to everybody else's comments and I draw my conclusions. But I got to see it up close and personal last night. Um, and again, this is not a place where you're thinking this is going to happen, but it just takes one situation, one person, one family. Uh, and, for, and, and, and what you get is when I sit down and I talk to these people, you know, like, because again, anytime any of the ladies around here have something going on, they knock on my, my door and ask for my assistance. So I know them and, and everybody's trying to get away from 
and it followed them. And they had expressed their concerns to me. And I looked at it and said, this is this is not going this is not going to turn out well. You could just look and see people who literally attract. Uh, literally attract. Um, things and we have to change our mindsets and how we think and how we move, how we respond to things, to change the things we attract. Um, pray for this family because no matter what, there's a 15-year-old with two holes in them. Um, there's a mother and siblings who are traumatized now. Uh, there are some shooters uh, who are more than likely going to be going away for sometimes life changed forever because they know them. So this isn't some random ride up. Nobody don't know who did it. They literally know them. They were on the phone arguing with them before they showed up. We don't know how to respond to conflict. Because again, we haven't been properly socializing our black males. Uh, we answer through emotion far too frequently to true to be true leaders in our community. Uh, we have to be able to manage our emotions. We have to be able uh, to move rationally, uh, rationally, uh, while instinctively, but rationally and with an agenda and purpose in mind we are easily marked and targeted because we act out of our emotions so they just trigger us they just put us in situations where we will be triggered uh poverty whether you know it or not is a trigger um and poverty has been engineered whether we want to acknowledge it or not the unwillingness to develop an awareness of financial uh, literacy is engineered. Um, there's so much that I've talked about, I've written about. And in these moments, it all becomes so small. You know, on, on, on my Facebook page, I shared uh, the pictures of my vehicle. Uh, not, not for somebody to whine about what happened. It's a vehicle. Uh, it'll, 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 I'll, it'll get taken care of. But to show you how close it could have been if I'd have just been sitting in my truck. It was hit more than once. Um... I'll be replacing a minimum of two glasses and a windshield. And um, the one that comes through the driver's side glass, if I'm sitting in that truck in, in positioned in a certain way, I'm hit in the head. And I and the cars. You have to see this to really understand it. The cars that the bullets missed to hit my truck. 
that's why when Morpheus says that, you know, I need to be careful. It's not a co it's not, it's ironic that uh that's energy found me. Uh yeah. I'm literally telling you where my truck was sitting. I mean, they literally were fighting around vehicles. None of those vehicles got shot. But while they are running away, they're still shooting. And missed cars close to mine hit mine. And we have to understand that we can't keep saying that our children are our future and be as easily dismissive about this type of behavior because we can't hand pick our future and think that those hand pick can carry the, the, the torch. There's a reason why these kids are the way they are and that society does very little on their behalf. It's because they are our future. They are our future. And whatever is, you know, coming my way, you know, I was, I've been prepared for that a long time. Uh, I don't walk in fear every day that I live, I live to the fullest. If you've ever watched any of my videos, they normally end with me saying I live my life on full so that when I leave this place, I die on E. And I've given it all I've got. So I'm good. But I hurt for my people. I hurt for. Yes, yes, Tony. Frederick Douglass. Uh, Frederick Douglass once says it's easier to uh, build strong men and strong children than it is to prepare broken men. And I can attest to that. We need to really truly think about how we're going to socialize this. Because here's what I found when I did my research on African-American uh, adolescent and young adult male violence. And I want to thank uh, Dr. Howard Stevenson from the University of Pennsylvania, Dr. Joy DeGru, the great author of Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome, but she's also done a great deal of work in the area of adole uh, African-American adolescent violence, uh, male violence. And uh, she actually created the first African-American adolescent respect scale because we found out that respect was literally the number one driving force behind African-American adolescent violence. Um, um, the second is a lack of racial socialization. Uh, they're not being socialized into black manhood. They're not being socialized into the true nature of what they are growing up in and what's going to be demanded of them, what's going to be expected of them. Uh, the third was um, being a victim of violence. The fourth is witnessing violence. The fifth is urban hassle. Uh, Tony Lindsay living in New York knows urban hassle well. Urban hassle 
is the things that kids in the inner city experience, everything from having to navigate uh, gang violence and dr drug activity to get to and from school to L trains in the uh, Northeast and the Midwest running all times of the night, gunfire and sirens all times of the nights. It's urban hassle. It puts them on edge. It messes with the nervous system. It makes them more edgy and more likely to act in violence. These are things that our inner city children are facing. And what I found is the thing that we can control the most is socialization because it's hard to define for them because they haven't been socialized what respect actually is. This is why they act with violence because they associate fear with respect. What they fail to realize is normally when someone is afraid of you, they're your greatest threat. And so we get this cycle of retaliation, this cycle of fear, this cycle of I will be respected. I mean, to literally witness this escalate from a phone argument that should have been indoors in the first place. Man, Tony, yes. I'm going to read what Tony said. Tony said, the missing element in this equation is value. These young men are constantly reinforced with messages that tell them they have no value. Therefore, they seek the veil, the value through what they deem as power and respect. But unfortunately, we have been socialized in this country to view respect and power through violence. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Um, this is so true. We have to be the ones that, first of all, socialize them at an early age and plant their identity. See, the problem with the lack of value is a lack of identity. No problem. I saw the typo. No big deal. Um, the problem when you talk about they lack value is they lack identity. See, that's what socialization is. And here's the problem. You got 1.5 million black men missing. 1.3 are in prison. We know where they're at. And the recidivism rate for them is 73% will return within three years of being released. That's the recidivism rate. So they, they're, they're not going to be consistently in the lives of anybody in the free world because they're being institutionalized systematically each time they go to make them repeat offenders. It's big business. And they're easy marks because they're what? They haven't properly been socialized into their identity. See, when you have both masculine and feminine energy in the home, there is a sense of identity when I tell people all the time. One of the biggest problems we have when you have single parenthood is you have the person who is the source of identity absent. The man is the source of identity for both the daughter and the son. He is the model of manhood for the son, but he is the example of manhood for the daughter, and he is the identity. Mom can tell baby girl she's beautiful all the time. Daddy says it once, and everything stops moving in the entire world. Why? Because he's the source of her identity. What the, the seed he just planted it. It will take mom 50 million times of saying it. Why? Mom, that's what you're supposed to say. They that's how this is just how children are naturally built. But when dad says it, it's different. 
The same thing comes when dad says, I'm proud of you. Mom can say it a hundred times. When dad says, son, I'm proud of you. I've, it's almost like you fulfilled a part of yourself. You, But see, it's up to us to tell them who they are. That's what socialization is. You are intelligent. You're smart. You have a purpose. You have a place. You belong. We need you. Most of them are just existing. Most of them don't feel like they belong. That's why they join gangs. It gives them a sense of belonging. It gives them a sense of family. But it also puts them in harm's way and it gives them erroneous paradigms through which they develop antisocial behaviors that almost guarantee either imprisonment or death. We've dropped the ball. I don't know what will happen with this kid, but I'm going to do everything I can to be a positive force in his life. Um, everybody around here is mad, mad at the family because they believe they brought it here. And I definitely understand that, especially when everyone around here are female uh, and they've noticed the behavior and the change since they moved in. Uh, I just see my people. And yeah, I know you can't save everybody, but I'm not gonna be the one to choose who deserves a chance to be saved or not. Not built like that. Um, again, you can't force anybody to accept what you bring to the table or what you offer. But we need men who are willing to plant seeds in kids that they may, uh, men who plant these seeds uh, may not live long enough to see them come to fruition. I've been saying that for a long time because black men are so marginalized because we experience such little power and force and influence in this world. We grasp at everything. So instead of really looking at what it takes to solve our problems, we look at band-aids as solutions because if I can just plug it long enough, people will say, look what he did. People will give me a pat on the back. People will give me kudos. People will acknowledge me. So we're not looking for what it takes. You don't undo 246 years of chattel slavery, 157 years, well, 158 now, years of re-injury, traumatic re-injury. Thanks, uh, Hardhouse. I'm going to share this. Um, I'm going to be sure to reach out to hearthouseteens.org. Uh, thanks for sharing. Uh, Tony, you're absolutely right. There's no system of rehabilitation for black men in the United States. That's why it's our job. It's our job to properly prepare young men. Again, it goes back to what Frederick Douglass says. It's easier to build a 
strong. Building strong men, building strong black men mean, means that we're not repairing broken black men. Broken black men who respond to hurt with violence. Because see, it's not just playing out. It's not just playing out with male on male violence. Our sisters, our young baby girls are also weeping the whirlwind of broken men. The, lead, the second leading cause, no, the leading cause of death for black females from ages 15 to 44 is intimate partner homicide. The vast majority of those partners are black men. Normally at the end of a relationship where they probably were violent during the relationship and she finally said she had enough and they couldn't accept it. That's an internal thing that broke in them, probably as kids. I talk about adverse childhood experiences. I've studied, it was a part of my study in epigenetics, which came through my research and study into multi-generational transmission of trauma. I've written extensively on it. I've lectured extensively on it. I've studied uh, epigenetics to the point that my writings on its impact on disease and cancer led me to being a keynote speaker uh, in Frankfurt, Germany, uh, to the epigenetics, the International Council for Epigenetics and Cancer. This stuff runs deep. These experiences as child, as children, they don't stop as adults. It plays out as teenagers, adolescents. It plays out at young adults. It plays out in older ages through disease, through illness, through obesity, through all types of at-risk behavior, from drug use to promiscuity, can be traced back to the childhood experiences where we're not protecting these kids. And then we're looking at them at their, as they age and we are maligning their behavior, but we're not asking or talking about the origin. The one thing science has taught me is you don't fix problems at the source of the symptom at the at, at the at the point of the symptoms, you fix it at the source and the origin of the problem. You're not gonna reason with a broken kid and make it make sense to him what he's doing to his life. But you can reach him earlier in life and say, look. This is who you are. You're God's gift to your community. You come as a blessing to your people. We need you. We can't afford to lose you. Not just to death, but to this stupid system. We can't afford to lose you. They need to know they belong and they have a place. Because here's what happens when you can't find value in yourself. You develop self-hatred without understanding what it is. And if I can't love me and see the value in me, how can I give value to that person that looks just like me in front of me? 
we we talk about them like they're animals because of the behavior, but we don't we don't talk about the dynamics behind it. See, for me to be able to, without hesitation, take a black life, I can't see black. I can't see the value in black life. I'm not saying that in the right situation you don't defend yourself and those you love. I'm saying that there are too many people dying behind stupid stuff because the stupid stuff has more value to them than the person they're willing to kill who looks just like them, who is having experiences similar to them. Yep, Tony, that is a microcosm of what we deal with in almost everything. We are a symptom managing culture from physical health to mental health to finances to everything is we're laser focused on the symptoms because you know why? There's money in confronting symptoms. There's wholeness and healing in confronting the origin. But see, when people heal, I don't mean mass symptoms. I mean heal. They don't need your services any longer. When people heal physically, they don't spend as much time with the doctor. When people heal from addiction, they don't spend as much time being treated in facilities. When people heal from emotional brokenness, they don't, the psychologists like me don't get to see them as often. There's money in the brokenness of black people. In all the people, if you want to be honest. In my book, Academic Apart Time, that was my 24th book. I talked about the disproportionality of special education referral of young African-American males as early as five years old uh, and the dynamic of our demographic of teachers. We're talking about predominantly white females over the age of 35 who automatically assume there's something wrong with this little black boy before he ever opens his mouth, before he ever moves. And she's looking for any reason to refer him. He's referred at such a disproportionate rate that it is unbelievable. He's going to be diagnosed by the school psychologist without question, almost every time with either ADHD or oppositional defiant disorder. Why? Because those two allow them to prescribe what psychotropic drugs like uh, Concerta, Vyvanse, Ritalin, Adderall, these scheduled, these, these, these psychotropic drugs are scheduled two drugs, meaning they're highly addictive. And what's amazing is uh, with these drugs is they're literally one molecule away from the very molecular makeup of cocaine, which is interesting because many of their fathers are put away for years for possessing the stuff or in many instances, consuming it. And yet here we are pumping it into them so that they can become docile and manageable and palatable and controllable. And then we are assigning to them an IEP, a special education tag, so that they can get an extra $8,000 a year into the school because of them that they don't get to see the benefit of. 
They're not going to protect our boys. It's our responsibility. I can't tell you how broken my heart is right now. And I've been doing this a long time. You know, um, to sit up and literally watch this where I live, knowing my passion. Knowing that the one thing I take away from this, and I'm I'm not a fatalist in any stretch of the imagination. I have no desire to die early, but I've never feared it. That's why I live my life on full. That's why I have given everything. I, I, if I if I if I would have died yesterday, if I would have been in that truck when it got hit and died, I would have left you with 26 books over a thousand scholarly articles, over 30,000 prose articles, uh, over 10,000 videos and lectures, conferences that you can scroll through and say, he told us this. Wow, I didn't realize he said this. I'm, I'm, I, I've built my legacy, so I don't fear death. I feel the outcome of my people. And it breaks my heart. My entire adult life, even before I became an adult, I've been doing this. 16, 17 years old, 1985, watching Dr. Francis Chris Welsing on the Phil Donahue show changed my life. It took me from back grappling with whether I was going to be an attorney or a psychologist to making it a no-brainer. And I've been studying human behavior ever since. We got a problem. And praying about it has its place. I believe in prayer. But as, uh, again, another Frederick Douglass close, uh, uh, Another Frederick Douglass quote, he said, for 21 years, I prayed for freedom. But it wasn't until I started praying with my feet that I experienced it. Faith isn't faith without action. God put us here with purpose to be an impact to be a change a catalyst of change to be an instrument of empowerment not to sit around and just watch the world fall apart and shake our heads i'm tired of seeing shaking my head i'm tired of seeing oh my god it's time to start taking action. 
it's time for us to start doing something that says we actually believe that our children are our future. We have such a long way to go. We are in a situation where the wealth gap is widening. Public school systems are coming to a halt and most of us don't even realize it. They are slowly shifting to privatization of schools and those who can afford it get the education, those who don't. And we've been convinced because they'll send you to jail or they'll cite you if your kid doesn't go to school that our kids actually have a right to public education. There's no constitutional uh, foundation for that. Public school system was actually created to support the literacy necessary for corporations and companies in the industry that was on the rise at the time it was created to be able to train people more effectively and efficiently. It was never about the class of people being educated. It was about who they would serve. We better really truly catch on to what's going on. And we better really truly care enough about the future of our people that we care about the future of our babies and that we do something to give them a sense of identity. Our baby girls are struggling and suffering too. <laughs> you know, I, I'm gonna say this and then I'm gonna go, I'm gonna spend a little time talking about me just maybe a minute or two. When it all happened, like I said, I'm literally looking at it happen. So I tell the person, hey, look, I'm going to holler at you. I call 911. And again, it doesn't even hit me that my heart isn't racing. Nothing, nothing that the average person would experience after experiencing this and my experiencing tells me I've seen too much. Been in the middle of too much. But it is what it is. So I go out to check on my neighbors and they're all fine. So we're all out talking. And they say, hey, why are they shining a light on your, your truck? I said, if they're shining a light on my truck, my truck is hit. And so I'm thinking, you know, no big deal. It's hit, whatever. And so, you know, they've made it, they've marked it off with crime so you can take this big area the street and everything. And so you can't get in there to see. So they finally asked me because one of the slugs went in and hit the inside of the windshield, went through one window, hit the inside of the windshield. But the way the windshields are made on those vehicles, it's, it hit it, cracked it, but didn't go through it. And it fell in the floorboard. They needed to recover the slug, but they needed my permission to do it. So I had to sign uh, a consent form for them to go into the truck and get it. And that was the last thing they got they got done. They, I mean, it took hours for this to happen. I got to bed probably at 2.30. I've been back up at 5.30, since 5.30. So I got three hours of sleep, if you want to call it that, uh, want to call it sleep. But it's when they finally take it off, because they, they let me come down with them to get it. I unlocked the truck. They went in and got it, collected it, took pictures. Um, it's when I walk around and I look at that glass. And this happened at a time that I could have been coming home from the cigar shop and sitting in my truck 
doing my arrival meditate my arriving home meditation i don't like negative energy in my home so before i get out and i go in i make sure my mindset is right because i don't want to drag anything that could have happened while i was out there i've been here since the breakup which is over a year now and nobody's been in here it's because this place is you know it's my space so it got shook yesterday but when i looked at that glass for the first time and saw the placement and says all i had to do was be leaning up to turn off the car when that happened and i wouldn't be here so this is what i'm gonna leave you with live your life on full make it count tomorrow's not promised tomorrow's not promised and finally it's time for us to put in work. It's time for us to stop passing the buck. It's time for us to stop pointing fingers. It's time for us to stop whining and complaining. It's time for us to own it. That's my challenge. On that note, I'm going to get off of here, get my head together. I got to figure out uh, who to call and what I'm going to need to do uh, about the truck and all that. Like I said, it's secondary. Uh, the good news is the young man is going to survive. So physically, he's going to be okay. Mentally, that's a whole nother thing. Be blaze. Wow. I'm going to share this. This is, this is the problem. She says, I'm so grateful you're safe. And I thank you for that. Um, says the very same thing happened on my street. Not so, not too long ago, 8 PM in the e evening. It was a little later than that for me around nine 30 or so 30 shells everywhere. Miraculously, my vehicle was the only one not hit. Uh, but shells were all around the wood. Thankfully, your vehicle was not hit, but I can understand that you are shaken. I can understand that it challenges your sense of safety and security. Home is where you're supposed to feel safe. Home is where you're supposed to feel like you've taken on the world. You made it in. And you're safe. And when that gets violated, there's a shift. There's a shift in the way you move, the way you think, how you watch everybody else, who you trust. And, and, and in many instances, it never gets back to where it was. But I thank all of you for those who have, are praying for me now. Those who have prayed for me in the past, uh, your prayers were answered. 
those who are praying for me now, thank you. Those who will pray for me after hearing this, um, thank you. I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. Uh, I'm thankful and grateful to be alive. Uh, I'm thankful that we didn't lose another black male last night, at least not to death. Um, this is on us. We have to reclaim our communities and we can't be cowards in doing it because they take it, they took it and everybody's running and they're just pursuing. At some point, we're going to have to stand up and say it's worth fighting for. We'll go hard ham on the cops. And we should. But 90% of the deaths in our community, 95% of the deaths in our community aren't coming at the hands of them. Now, when they do it, it's egregious, absolutely unnecessary, unarmed versus armed and outnumbered. And yet they feel the need. So this is but this isn't me sitting up acting like what they do isn't bad. What I'm saying is the numbers say we are doing way more damage to ourselves than they are. Now the psychological damage when they do it is is immense. And I won't get into that now. But again, thank you guys for dropping in. I went over my 30 minute limit. Uh, that I set for myself when I got on here, but I knew where I was in my heart that I probably would. Um, those of you who have loved on me, I'm going to need that. Loved on me in the past, I'm going to need that because I'm in a space right now. But again, thanks uh, for dropping in. Uh, I absolutely appreciate and adore every last one of you as if I knew you personally. You're my people. You why I do this. So keep your head up, take care of one another, love on one another, and let's make some stuff happen.